Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. Some of you may recognize Omar Davis. He is the person who came out to Sidewalk Talk and sat on the sidewalk with us. He is the host of a Healthline show called How Are You? He is also somebody who leads healing groups for men and he works with kids. He's very interested in the inner child and how to get in right relationship with that inner child so that we can embrace and see possibility in our lives again. And this conversation is raw, it's vulnerable, I loved it because I felt like with each conversation, I get to know Omar more and I feel like we have a budding friendship. And I just am a champion of the work that he does and this unique lens that he brings on healing. So, so excited to have you meet Omar Davis. Omar Davis. I'm really excited to get to be in connection with you. And I've got to confess something to you. Um, you and I met because you came out to San Francisco from New York, from Brooklyn, actually. Yes. And sat with us on the sidewalk in San Francisco. And I remember meeting you going, oh, man, this guy is super positive. <laughs> and he's going to hate me. And I had to really work that inner dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to confess that that little backstory was going on when I met you. Are you always? That's so funny. Are you always like that? Are you always super positive? <laughs> uh, yes and no. Um, I wouldn't actually. I guess I'm pretty positive, but I'm I'm more cynical. I guess I question a lot. Mm. Um, I try to ride the balance of the two. Um, my form of practice is um, alchemy. And so understanding alchemy means that you gotta, you gotta ask the questions, but you also gotta be humble. And so um, learning how to, and don't get me wrong, I have not always been this way. This is a learning lesson. Mm. I've had to learn how to not be so um, direct and, and, um, and kind of mean in my questioning because you know, I really want the answers. And I, I want it with, at all means necessary, by all means necessary. And so I, I wasn't always super positive. <laughs> um, it became a practice that I had to mindfully keep myself in alignment with. And it is so easy to fall out of alignment with positivity. Mm -hmm. And especially in that given moment, whenever we were meeting, I, it was more like on my end, you know, a confession to you. It's like, oh my God, like this person's so smart. 
like they've done so many things that are so beyond what I'm doing. Like, what the hell am I even going to ask them? Like, why am I here? <laughs> and so having my own inner dialogue of, um, of seeing you in your light and yeah, actually seeing you as a positive person. Um, and it kind of matched because a lot of your quirkiness and a lot of the things that you uh, <laughs> came with as soon as we met was like, yeah, this woman's awesome. Like we can actually be transparent with each other and say some, you know, non PC stuff. Did we talk about farting or something like that really early we on? We talked about that... farting earlier. We talked about your stickers. Oh, um, the fuck stickers. Yeah. Right. yeah that was a, that was a <laughs> For those that don't deal. know, I give my couples when I'm done, they get to choose one of four stickers after a session. One that says fuck, one that says what the fuck, one that says fuck yeah, and the one that says fuck no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's right up my alley because I'm always told to stop using the word fuck so much. And I'm like, but it's the perfect transition to like if you know how to use it correctly as an adjective then it's it's great but it it can't be like you're you know it has to be right in the right place and so mm. um i i'm I, I usually swear and curse a lot and a lot of times really? okay i do i do and um it comes off pretty hilarious because a lot of times in my meditation classes you know i'll be like you know what now just take a deep breath and and just say, fuck that. And just let it go. <laughs> let it go. And, you know, you'll have some people who are laughing. You'll, have you'll some say people that out like, loud in the middle of a meditation class? Oh, completely. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. You know, and it, it also brings uh, the sense of reality. And, 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 like, I'm not some meditation teacher who's, you know, like, almost the Buddha. And so... A lot of times people do see me as that and they, they say, oh, you know, on, on your social media or in person, you're just so personable and so positive. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, too. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, that's that's cool. But the people that know me and the people that talk to me and the people that I don't have to be all PC with, they know that my my, my language is pretty vulgar and. I crack a lot of jokes and a lot of times, you know. As much as I'm loving and caring, I'm also super cynical and not always positive. <laughs> so, so it's funny guys. that you just you just broke that, you know, the the open airwaves to that, you know, a lot of people do see me as this positive person. Well, it sort of matches what you just described as alchemy. What I'm hearing you say is that yeah. you're multifaceted and in your stance of inner alchemy, you're welcome that inner alchemy with yourself, which means your inner curmudgeon and your inner <laughs> inner five-year-old and your inner fucksayer and your yeah. inner Buddha all at once. All at once. It sounds like. I, you know, I just had a question float across my mind. So you are a mental health advocate. You're a teacher. You're a healer. Um, when you just said some people see me and th this is what they identify me as, um, yeah. how is that for you that other parts of you may not get seen is maybe maybe that's good or maybe that's not good but i'm just wondering how that is for you and how you cope with it oh that's a really good question and um part of me is kind of like hesitant to answer because it's a scary question and to be honest um i've had to i've had to learn to compartmentalize you know um when i first got into this arena and that's exactly what it is it's an arena um, I took everything personal. Mm. I took everything personal. And so it used to make me feel like I was being fake 
or I wasn't being authentic because I had to put up this persona and I had to act a certain way because when I'm walking into schools and they look at my social media, it has to be like directly aligned with the Department of Education in order to get the contract. And so a, lar a large part of me was taking offense to, to that. Like, you know, I'm not able to be myself. I'm not able to just say what I want. I have to watch my tone. And I'm like, I feel like Obama. <laughs> as soon as he became president, he had to stop like actually using non-PC <laughs> language. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that. I want to be like Donald. <laughs> I want to just be able to say whatever the fuck I want, whenever I want and do whatever I want and talk about some of the things that I'm into without it being a, a slander or like a tarnishment of my personality and my character. Mm. And so learning how to, how to balance that was a, was really challenging. And I, I want to say that it wasn't even more than two years ago that I was learning how to balance. And now I've actually become uh, steady with uh, how, how I'm doing that and learning how to compartmentalize and understanding like there's a time and a place for everything. And some of the things that I want to talk about and I, I do support, it's just not necessary right now because there's just no space for it but I need to find avenues like talking with you or talking with some of my um, business partners off topic, you know, like going to have a cigar or, or you know, just talking about why we hate the department of education. <laughs> like for one, that was a big thing. Like, Oh, you can't really talk about why you don't like doing business with the department of education. And I'm like, no way. They're the worst. They're absolutely the worst. Um, but, you know, going on social media or going on a profile, my public profile and saying like the department of education is terrible for business. Don't ever do business with them. Uh, <laughs> it's not you just realize this conversation's going live, right? <laughs> yes. No, that's fine. And again, once again, I'm, I'm completely comfortable now because I've realized that there are certain ways to say things to get your point across mm -hmm. versus going back to what you're saying versus being the five-year-old and just you know, or the 12 year old and the 13 year old that just says stuff just to be heard. And now I've learned how to say it in a way that actually has value and it actually doesn't tarnish my character, but it does show you that I have a different perspective and a different viewpoint. And I'll say it all day that mm -hmm. department of education is very terrible for business and they need to reshape everything that they're doing. And, um, but when it comes to, you know, like even certain things that I, that I believe in, like uh, microdosing for mental health. I'm a big advocate for that. And I can't necessarily speak about it per se. I can mention it here and there, but I can't, you know, really just go into why that is important, even though I have all the science to, to show why. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, you know, taking the back seat for now, letting the people who are pushing that forward push that and then just support them as, as I can. <laughs> and um, learning ways to use my voice without speaking. That, that's been a really big one. Mm. There's a few things I want to reflect here, but before I do, can you tell our listeners what microdosing is? Because there are plenty listening that won't know what that means. Ooh, microdosing. Hmm. I'll be very scientific. Microdosing is whenever you take a substance. <clears throat> it can be any substance, but ideally you want to take a substance that's going to be uh, hallucinogenic or mind-altering. And you don't want to take it in the sense that you're taking something to actually have a trip or go on a journey. 
you just want to take small fragments that opens up parts of your hypothalamus, the pituitary, the um, pineal gland, and certain um, limbic system responses of your emotions. And it just gives you uh, a more sense of clarity whenever you're really going in with intention. And that's one of the things that I really like to, you know, preference. Intention and, you know, being really smart about what you're doing and also having a support system to support you while you're doing this. Don't just be out there, you know, doing whatever you think is right because you want to do it. Uh, that's just ignorant. Um, but learning about it and learning the science of it, because when, you, when it comes to microdosing specifically, I usually microdose anything from like mushrooms or acid. And I break that down specifically to a dosage. And it's very, 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 very specific. <laughs> so for those of you who are aware of it or want to know more information about it, once again, do your research, find out everything you need to know. Don't be stupid. Make sure that you're in a safe space emotionally, mentally, and physically to do it. And also make sure that you have a support team around you and people that are, are aware of what you're doing. That way you don't, you don't lose your shit. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times what happens with microdosing, it brings up those triggers and traumas of emotions. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it does allow you to sift through them a little easier because your ego is a little bit in the background mm -hmm. and it's not kicking your ass about what it is you're not doing or what you're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And specifically for me as the alchemist and as the shaman, um, I microdose and meditate or contemplate like what I'm doing with my life mm -hmm. or like where are there areas I can forgive or heal. You know, it's not like, oh, I want to take a dose and just go have a good time. Like, no, right. it's not about that. And that's one of the misconceptions of the younger generation. Because mm. when I was younger, don't get me wrong, I used to just take a buttload of shrooms and just like run out in the woods naked. And I wouldn't <laughs> necessarily say that that was the most healing thing to do, but I definitely <laughs> have done it. <laughs> well, it's, it's, if I can just reflect, I, I feel these beautiful pieces coming together here and in, in everything that you're sharing, which is linked back to that original question, you know, how you feel as somebody who's seen as this alchemist and healer and teacher. And you said, what I keep hearing as a thread line through everything that you're saying is that you've really created such a deep adult clarity and intentionality in, yeah. in all of these things that create a certain kind of inner steadiness for you. Yeah. 100%. Um, that's kind of the goal is um, whenever I was a lot younger, I came to the point that I can't do this alone. I can't figure this out alone. And there was so much inner turmoil that if I didn't find a balance of how to quiet the voices and quiet the reactions or, or lessen the triggers and reactions, then I was never going to get anywhere. But once I started to realize what I was saying to myself, it was more like, oh, well, that means that you have to really dive deep and figure out what it is that's causing this. And it's kind of been my whole mission from that point. And I was maybe in my early 20s, like maybe, maybe 20. 
And I started to realize intuitively that my inner child was hurt. Like the little boy is hurt. No one else. And so I had to come to peace with that. And I had to come to accept that this little boy was angry, frustrated, upset, pissed, um, and just overall just hurt. And once I, once I was able to, I guess, understand that, that's when my, my real journey began, which was to just really try to find peace within myself because it was obvious that the world wasn't going to give me peace. Um, the people around me weren't going to give me peace. My relationships weren't going to give me peace. And so um, diving inside and finding my own inner stability was the only answer. And then when I tried to do that by myself, I slightly went insane and developed a psychosis. <laughs> so <laughs> once again, um, it's great that we can do things alone, but we're not made to do things alone. And that's, you know, one of the benefits of um, community is I started to, I mean, years later, six or seven years later, I finally realized that I'm alone and I need a community and allowing myself to feel the healing happen within my community, but also keeping the focus directly placed on, on the little boy. Mm-hmm. Like how is the little boy reacting now in the community? How does the little boy feel about trusting mm-hmm. men? How does the little boy feel about the way he speaks to women? Like how does the little boy feel about the gender roles? You know, all these things. And so just finding the belief system that I've been programmed with mm-hmm. and then erasing that shit. Mm-hmm. And then just telling the little boy, like, yo, you don't have to believe that anymore. Like, it's not real. Mm-hmm. And that, that really was the, um, it was the, the, the pathway, is telling the child that he doesn't have to believe these things anymore. And then giving him the space to let it go, whether that looked like anger, um, beating my fist into a pillow, screaming drastically into a pillow, or what I like to call, which is super fun, donkey crying. And you know the donkey crying is when you're like, <laughs> yeah, you know it. It's that like guttural, like I sound like, like I just, I'm 13 and I've just been broken up with for the first time or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's that real deep, deep, deep agony, and um, and finding finding peace in uh, all those things too, mm-hmm. like finding peace in anger, finding peace in crying and the donkey cry and. <laughs> finding peace and um, being able to use my physical body to relieve tension. Mm. Mm. So there's this, the, the thing that's really sitting with me and striking me as I take in your presence and your words is your motivation to grow and mm. your motivation to go to the most tender aspects of your vulnerability and if i'm just gonna if i can just along the lines of tracy rubel quirkiness call a spade a spade you're Mm -hmm. a dude and you're not a white dude (laughs) so like you're kind of pushing up against these stoic patriarchal norms that we would sort of label a man with yeah and you're like not playing along and I'm just curious what was your motivation point to go to places that are hard 
places that are tender, places where you donkey cry. Yeah. Um, the motivation was, I guess I just, I guess there's a couple of things that gave me motivation. Um, the first thing was I was angry and I, I hurt a lot of people in my, in my past, whether that was mentally, emotionally, or physically. Um, I grew up in a very violent atmosphere and I saw what it was like on both sides. Um, by the time I was seven, no, I was about eight years old. My mother, she moved us to a neighborhood where I met my first like actual Caucasian friend. And I, I didn't really understand that there was a difference of his life versus my life. But once my mother exposed me to a, a different lifestyle other than the projects in the hood, um, I started to just like ask questions like, <laughs> why do they not scream the way our family screams at each other? Or why does his life seem so much more pleasant? And then reflecting back and then realizing like, I'm like really angry. <laughs> like, I got a lot of issues. But the one thing that really changed everything for me was the constant. And everywhere I looked in the world, everywhere I looked in, in life, the absolute constant was change. And if I don't keep up with the constant, then I'm going to wither and die away and never adapt. I like to use the monarch butterfly as a great example. You know, they would absolutely be completely extinct if it wasn't for them learning how to develop a spot on their wings. And they're like tissue paper. You know, mm -hmm. they like, you, you touch their wing and they completely just fizzle away in your hand. You can easily kill a butterfly. But they had the intelligence and the wherewithal to know that they were in danger and under stress mm -hmm. and find it within their system to adapt. And then I had to say, huh, if monarch butterflies are adapting, what else is adapting? Mm -hmm. And so I look at the star systems and I'm like, huh. Our sun, to me, doesn't seem like it's growing at all because my life is so, you know, fast in comparison to its life. Mm -hmm. But eventually our sun is going to grow and completely obliterate the earth. And then it's going to suck in on itself and explode and build new stars. And that just blew my mind. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, it's going to have a life to where it grows to its absolute greatest. And then it's gonna suck in on itself and be at a silent peace for a little bit. And then it's gonna unleash an explosion that completely obliterates everything in its path to somehow birth new stars that will possibly even be bigger than it. It just blew my mind. Mm. And then I got to looking at the galaxy, like, okay, well, galaxies are doing the same thing. And then from there, I interreflected. Well, what the hell am I made up of? Then? And if I have these cells that are completely building themselves and then replicating themselves and then dying and then replicating themselves and then dying, then it's obvious. The constant is change. Mm -hmm. So I can't be stagnant. I cannot stay the same. I must not be the same man in five years. 
And so I just started to pick apart like, okay, so what do we need to do? Where do we need to change? What am I not seeing? And that, I think that was the key. The key was I sat in my meditation and I asked the universe, show me what I am not seeing. And I was not happy with it, show me. <laughs> I was super yes. pissed off. <laughs> That's a provocative question if you really mean it, isn't it? It is. Mm-hmm. And you got to be ready for the answer because I was ready for the answer, mm-hmm. but I still didn't want to do it. I was like, what? Pfft, insecurity? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Not insecure. I'm a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was super insecure. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yet there's something really beautiful about this, dis- this description about when you were an eight-year-old boy. What I heard you say was, I had my perspective shifted so utterly going from projects to non-projects that I was able to recognize that reality is changing so much that where I heard you go, you may not have said the word, but I heard you go and it's where the way I experience you, Omar, it's almost like, well, if change is happening all the time, then I can actually choose my reality and the reality that I am choosing is possibility. Mm-hmm. And I keep hearing what you've decided to do is to continually be on a growth path of living into possibility. And it feels like that's what you are infusing in all of the work that you do. I don't know. Am I getting you right? Am I? In- 100%. Um, without, the, uh, without the belief of possibility, then there is no possibility. Mm-hmm. And once you made up your mind that there is no possible outcome other than what you see, and what's happening to you, then you're subjected to your ego's crazy ass play that it's going to like eat you up with. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know more. I wanted to, to say, you know what, fuck my ego, my ego sucks. But at the same time, if I learned how to use my ego as a positive tool, then my ego is awesome. Mm -hmm. But as at that moment, it was shut the fuck up ego. You're really fucking pissing me off today and I don't have time to deal with this shit. <laughs> so yeah. developing a new relationship from that point was, um, was huge, but I had to literally convince my ego that it was possible. And that took time. Don't get me wrong. The eight year old little boy definitely was like at awe with that. There's something to know. There's something to learn. There's, there's change. There's differences. There's growth. There's uh, possibility. And as I became a man, I started to realize that those possibilities are absolutely true. Only if I believe it. Mm. Only if I make it a reality for where I am in my life and not shortcut or lie to myself and say, oh, no, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not messed up. You don't have issues. Or, oh, no, you're here. You're not there. Mm-hmm. Really? And so just really trying to like, how do I say it? Really trying to blend my neurological responses <laughs> into habits. Mm-hmm. Like I had to change the habit. Because, you know, as we become more of the adult, you know, that idea of possibility gets really shortened whenever you have things like bills and mortgage or rent <laughs> or like kids like 
you feel very stuck in your reality. Mm-hmm. And reprogramming, even from that point, was a, was a challenge because um, it was really hard for me in my mid 20s to, uh, to really like focus, focus on growth, focus on healing. It wasn't until I was at like a, the, the, my wit's end of a six year depression, going on the age of 27. Uh, I had a music production company, so everything was great. Like, you know, life was good, uh, but everyone around me was full of shit. And I realized like, hey, if everyone around you's full of shit, you started learning about this law of attraction stuff recently. Maybe you're full of shit. <laughs> Maybe that's what's really happening. You're full of shit. You're lying to yourself. You've become so comfortable with this reality that you've created that now you have stopped adapting. Now you have stopped growing. And at that point, I had to take a hard look. And so I left the company. I put myself through school for massage therapy. And I completely changed my paradigm. Uh, Because at that point, I knew that, you know, hey, Omar, you are full of shit. You've become stuck and rigid. And that was the point of building and to reprogramming the mind. Well, that doesn't surprise me because I think you are a paradigm shifter. I want to switch gears here and say and ask, okay, you could have just stopped there though, right? (laughs) And sort of gathered the spoils of your growth efforts, but you've taken the paradigm a step further and now you go out and offer these gems to others. Like what led you to wanting to enter in and be of service? Like where did that come from? I think that's just something that has always been in me that I was not necessarily aware of. Um, My mother used to tell me times when I was younger, people used to think I was really shy. And I'm like, really, why? They're like, yeah, because you were just quiet. And I'm like, huh, why was I so quiet? And she's like, because you just, you just observed everything. Like you were, you're an observer. And I, I now call that my subtle superhero power is that (laughs) my skill of observation, not only just to see the physical world, but being able to like sense how I feel in the physical world and, and how I'm acting and how Mm -hmm. things are coming at me in the physical world. And even outside of that, like above the physical world and below the physical world. And so at one point, I remembered, and it's so funny because these kinds of thoughts and memories kind of escape most people. One day I was just thinking like, you know, I've always protected the nerd. You know, I used to make nerds my friends and protect them when I was in elementary. And in high school, I used to protect all the slackers. And all the people that were looked at as like degenerates, because I was also an athlete. So I was very much involved in athletics, being a star quarterback, and still had my foot in the the nerds, quote unquote, and the slackers and the people who weren't as cool, if you really look at the uh, like the hierarchy of high school. Mm -hmm. And it just hit me. I was like, oh, shit, I've always actually looked out for people. And I never really reference that in my life until I guess more recently and so it was just the natural instinct like once I learned I remember exactly the moment I was in neurology class when I was in school for massage therapy 
And if you've ever taken a neurology class, it is really difficult. <laughs> but this one teacher I had, she says to me, I want you guys to put both of your hands together and interlock your fingers. Or you can touch all your five fingertips together. I'm like, okay, what are we doing? She's like, you're connecting both sides of your brain. I'm like, what? And I couldn't really comprehend what she was saying because I was still in the mindset of, no, you can't. It's not how it works. And so she says to me, oh, yeah, you didn't know that you can do anything? I'm like, <laughs> what do you, what? Can you repeat that? She's like, yeah, you can do anything. Your brain is plastic. That's what we're going to study today. We're going to learn about how you can literally do anything as long as you set your mind to it. And I immediately respond, that's fucked up. Hmm. She's like, excuse me? And I'm like, oh, no, no, not to what you just said. But to what has always been told to me that I ain't shit. You can't do shit. So don't try shit. Like literally in that phrase, I can go to most men of color in Brooklyn or anywhere in America. And we can like verbatimly repeat that same phrase that's been told to us either by our family members or the world. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so what you're saying is that anybody can do anything? I was like, what about drawing? That girl's not good at drawing because I seen her draw last <laughs> week. She learned how to draw. He's like, if she practiced, she can learn how to do it. I'm like, what the fuck? And I was like, oh my God, I got to tell somebody this. <laughs> I got to t- tell everyone, in fact. Mm. And so that was literally the spark that gave me the insight that I needed to create a platform to tell people mm. because I was lied to my entire life <laughs> and maybe done better on that, you know, calculus test if I would have focused more <laughs> rather than getting, you know, completely discouraged with calculus or another skill that I may have not learned. Yeah. Well, so tell me who the people are that you're serving. Well, at this moment, I am serving children and the kids and the schools and the students, um, giving them information about their body, giving them information about their human anatomy. We mostly focus on the systems of sympathetic nervous system um, that response and how there's two types of stress. And then we let them understand the parasympathetic nervous system and how that actually um, prohibits immune system responses and conscious development and emotional intelligence. And then we give them accountability uh, cues and workshops that actually have them to practice what it's like to, hey, how are you feeling today? And just expressing that and giving them the ability to sense what they're feeling and, and feeling safe and creating a safe space for them to actually uh, relay that to us. And so that curriculum and program is called the empowered seeds and the empowered youth which is empowered seeds is elementary and the empowered youth is middle school to high school and from there i'm also serving the community and um anyone who is needing in this any type of assistance um I'm doing some workshops right now that I'm getting ready to launch. I started this series last year and it's specifically geared towards men. Um, And it's called Holy Men. Mm. This workshop is becoming something that is actually a little bit more, it's getting a little bit more traction than I anticipated at first because it was just kind of like, oh, holy men, let's just 
come together with men and talk about the masculine and the feminine and how you have a left and a right side of your brain mm. and how you need to learn how to use both intelligently. And then we're going to talk about vulnerability times courage and how you literally cannot have vulnerability or courage without each other. Mm. So therefore we must actually digest this because we have a persona that vulnerability is weakness. And mm. so just reshaping that idea and that actually spun into which happened in October, which was more of a group setting of men and women and having this conversation amongst men and women about what I'm now going to call it holy human mm. because holy being like, not like the Bible term H O L Y, but mm -hmm. as a whole, like W H O L L Y mm. you're a whole person. You're using both the right and the left side of your brain. You're not just functioning off one side when the other side is getting kind of like put to the back end. Mm -hmm. You're learning how to use your emotions and you're learning how to use your logic and combine the two. Mm. And, um, and really just giving people in the community that, that are really looking for, for different answers. Um, you know, going back to conventional therapy is absolutely necessary, but at the same time, providing space for community healing is also necessary. That's what I'm looking to do. Well, you know that I love that you said that. I sometimes think that therapy has a lot of work to do to, in, what did you say, to investigate itself and, our, and its blind spots, right? Yeah. And you brought up that community, when you started doing your inner child work, at some point it was necessary to do that work in community because doing mm -hmm. it alone was detrimental to your health. And so I'm really, yeah, obviously I'm, I'm on the same wavelength. I like to create community stuff too. How has connection been a part of the healing journey in the communities that you're creating? I mean, how do these communities heal or support one another's healing? I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. It's, it feels like the one thing that has not been attempted <laughs> in who knows how many decades. But what I'm finding, especially in the circles of men that I'm holding, is that men are learning how to change their personification of competition mm -hmm. towards each other. And that was kind of one of the main goals is to get men to stop competing with each other under <laughs> these false pretenses that one of them, one of the alpha and one's the beta, mm -hmm. when that idea is not even true. Uh, Dr. David L. Meck, who was pretty much the founder of that whole phrase, alpha male, he came up with a video apologizing that that was absolutely wrong. It was inconclusive evidence. What we realized is that that's not the alpha male. It's just set up like a regular family. That's their dad. And the reason right. he's the one, he's the mating male, which is their dad. And then to go even further, he also states that we were studying animals in captivity. So mm. it changes their behavior and their dynamic completely from studying animals that are actually in the wild. And so we've developed all these false pretenses of what a man should be. And now Disney has drawn it into every cartoon they've ever put out. And now every little girl believes that too. Mm -hmm. And so now we're faced with this complex that men have been trying to live up to. And now that we find in a community space that we can break down these barriers, we can actually be vulnerable to it, towards one another. 
what we find is that once one man says something, it's like a chain reaction. And, and a lot of times, these are not men of the same ethnic background. You know, there was a last session that we did um, at Hill House, which was a men's house session. And we had some men who were a little taken back who were Caucasian because the majority of the men were men of color. But at the same time, that's kind of one of the whole issues too. It's like, why are you looking at us as different? Or why are we looking at you as different? And so one of the things that we did at the end of the workshop is that I had every man stare at each other, like look at each other in the eyes, in the left eye typically. And then we go through processes of our lives. Like what have we been through? What do you think this man has been through? And just really starting to break down. And once you start looking at someone for a certain like, number of minutes, you start to not see their color so much where you only see their eyes and you're seeing into their soul. And now you're reflecting like, man, this man has been like, man, this man has been traumatized just like I have. Mm -hmm. He's loved just as much as I have and been taken advantage of just as much as I have. Mm -hmm. Maybe his circumstances were different, but we both have been through all these things. And together we stand here, not different, not separate. There is no skin color. There is no age difference. It's just that I see you and you see me. And what I've found is that it's really, really changing the relationship that a man for one has with himself. Mm -hmm. And then how he's even interacting with his brothers now. And the goal now is to extend that to where we actually are able to do that in a community space with men and women mm -hmm. and to really, really digest and break apart this gender role bullshit. So over gender roles. <laughs> yes. Well, we talked about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I love, well, and you know, I'm going to dream big here and I hope that as we mm -hmm. are able to really listen and see one, each, one another's whole humanity, as you describe that then that also goes out into us pursuing justice in a much more authentic way because these are our brothers and sisters, not yeah. from a place of guilt or paranoia, but from a place of, I love you and I'm going to create a world that gives you as many opportunities as I've got. Yep. Right? And yep. that's, that's the potential that I am hearing you're creating, which is so beautiful. I am aware that we're kind of at our time, um, and I appreciate you kind of making so much space for us. And just by hearing your process and how you're doing this listening and community, I know that you have so much to offer us. And you've been out on the sidewalk, too, so you also know a little bit about what we do. Yeah. And so, so well, that wasn't, I wasn't fishing for a compliment. No, it was. Like, that changed my life. <laughs> it really did. So thank you. <laughs> well, I want to invite a dialogue between you and our listeners as, as a tradition of how we kind of complete our conversations. And it feels like you talking about being in community is a perfect place to transition into our clothes because yeah. it, it's clear that you have so much to offer. And so our our, our tradition is that I'd like to get out of the way here and let you speak directly to, and as of this day, we're now at 7,600 folks. Um, it grows every podcast interview. Right. Um, either wisdom about connecting or a wish directly to them. 
as a way to complete our time together, Omar? Well, I would like to say, if I can impart the wisdom to all of you out there, the one true thing that I've learned in my journey and my practice, whether it's meditation or my massage therapy practice, or if it was just learning from the community, if you're not 1000% authentic to that little boy or little girl that lives within your heart, then it's kind of game over. You know, it's very important that every day you develop a relationship with this child and you develop a better conversation that you have with this child. You know, a lot of times we walk around the streets ridiculing and self-doubting ourselves. Why can't we walk down the street and encourage that little child? Why can't we be waiting in line when we're starting to get frustrated with the people around us because they're taking too long and just say to our inner child, like, what do you, how do you really feel right now? Why are you, why do you feel so impatient? Or, or just like taking a moment to just reflect on how you're feeling because how you're feeling is directly related to the little child. And it's been the one thing that has helped to propel me and to push me into an arena that has allowed me to forgive. And as we know, forgiveness is the most powerful tool we have. So I ask all of you to just allow yourself to be easy, compassionate, but yet stubborn enough to tell your ego to stop beating up on your inner child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just in taking that time every morning and throughout the day, just to reflect. And then try to imagine your inner child. What they look like today. What age do they present themselves to you? And one of my biggest things is asking, at what age did I believe something that is not serving me anymore? Hmm. And I allow my inner child to actually reflect that back to me. Sometimes it's eight. Sometimes it's 12. Sometimes it's 19. Sometimes it's 28. And there are these things that come up that I find that are like holding me back. But the one thing and the one person that knows truly what those are is the child. So taking that time on a daily basis to just be with yourself, be with that child and developing a better relationship is all I ask of you. Mm -hmm. So little Tracy <laughs> wants to say, tell Omar, thank you for saying that to big Tracy because <laughs> she's listening. <laughs> And I have to imagine that there are a lot of our volunteers that probably just went inside and felt their inner child and remembered that, oh, yeah, I, I have this part of me that I have to turn to and be tender with. Just so tender. Thank you for that wisdom yeah. so much. It is my pleasure. Thank and you for who you are, Omar, and yes. all the work that you do in the world. And, um, well, that maybe even thank you that... I'm just going to put myself out there a little bit that maybe we're, we're becoming friends a little bit too. So we are, <laughs> it's kind of nice. I like, um, well, I have a lot of really amazing women in my life, but the, what I'm really starting to realize is that as I've tapped into my feminine energy, I've really been able to connect and be friends with women. And, and it's a whole new space outside of, you know, what most 
people say, oh, you have a lot of women friends. Huh, huh, huh. I'm just like, no, uh-huh. relax. They're my sisters. What are you talking about? I love them to death. It's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And to find someone like yourself and to not only vibrate on the same level, but also, you know, just to be there for each other and just to talk, like let some shit out. It's, it's nice to have someone who's not only intelligent, but also super cool to talk to. So thank yeah. you, Tracy. And thanks for checking on me when you realized I wasn't doing so well. Your text message meant a lot. I'll just say that to model for everyone that people do that. <laughs> yeah, it does. Do, it does happen. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a good evening day. It's day for day. you. Evening for me. It's one o'clock. No, two, three o'clock for you. Yes, it is. 9 p.m. for me. Well, you enjoy Omar your- Davis, we will put all your links in the show notes, folks. Please support his work. Check out his websites and um, champion what he's doing because he's making an impact. All right. Take it Thank easy. Thank you very much, Tracy. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to 